So most of the time, all you have to say is the book of Jonah, and right away people think about a man who's swallowed by what? A fish, right? That's where we go. And while that's part of the story, it's only part of it. So let, let me kind of remind us where we're going in this, uh, this series and why we're in Jonah right now. So this series is we're taking each book of the Bible, preaching one message, not, re, not overview of the whole book, but one message from each book of the Bible and showing how all of the Bible connects us to Jesus. Now, we just got done with Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on which uh, uh, version of the Bible you're using. And you might be asking, why are we not going into Isaiah, which is the next book in the Bible? And so what happened was we, had a, we decided as a pastoral staff that we were going to preach the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament are what we call the prophets in chronological order. They're not placed in our, in our Bibles in chronological order. They're b based on how long uh, uh, the book is. So Isaiah is one of the longest prophets, so it's the first one. And we call them the, the major prophets and the minor prophets simply based on how long of a book they are. But they're not necessarily placed in our, in our Old Testament in chronological order. But we do know the, the order of these books. We do know when they happened, what years they happened, all the events that go on around them. So we're going to preach through the prophets in chronological order instead of just book order, what you see in, in, in your Bible. Does that make sense? So you know where we're going with this and why. So Jonah is the first of our prophets. He is the first one in chronological order. And so we're going to take a look at that book today, and we're going to wrestle with this question about God's amazing um, mercy and grace and compassion that he shows. Now, quick overview. We're not going to read through the whole book. Um, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, but here's a quick overview of the book of Jonah. So Jonah is a prophet, and he's called by God to go and preach, but he's called to go and preach to a group of people that are the enemies of Israel. Sometimes we forget that, and we're really hard on Jonah. Now, we should be somewhat hard on Jonah, because God calls Jonah to do something, and Jonah says, no, <laughs> and he goes the other way. He doesn't say, like Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Jonah gets called by God, clearly, God, he knows that God's talking to him, he knows that God is calling him to do this, and he says, I'm not going there, because he was called to the city of, uh, city of Nineveh, which is in Assyria, which is Israel's great enemy, and not only are they the enemy of Israel, they are particularly evil people and are known for, as they conquer people, doing outrageous things to their enemies. And we won't even go into that. We don't need to, to have those visuals in our head. But if you can think of just horrible torture and all the things that can happen when you conquer an enemy, that's what the Assyrians were known for. That's what they were like. They were an evil, wicked people that were conquering people and doing horrible things. And Jonah gets called to go preach there. And Jonah's like, I'm not going. I don't want to do this. So on the one hand, there's a bit of fear in him. Like, I don't want to go do this because this is a, a really wicked people. On the other hand, God's called him to do it. So what should he do? He should probably be obedient to what God's calling him to do. So he jumps on a ship and goes the exact opposite direction. Opposite way of Nineveh and Assyria. And in that process, God sends a storm. Now remember, God called Jonah to do something. Do you think God's just going to say, oh, okay, Jonah, see you later. We'll go on to the plan B. <laughs> he says, you're plan A, Jonah. And so God does what God does, and he goes after Jonah. And he sends this great storm, and many of you know the story, and in the midst of the storm, all of the other sailors are going, what's going on? Why is this happening? They decide to cast lots, and they roll the dice to see who's 
who, who's offending the gods that this should be happening and that the ship is going to sink, and it falls on Jonah. And they all look at Jonah, and they say, Jonah, what in the world did you do? And Jonah said, my God called me, my God, the God, the only God, called me to go do something, and I said no. And they said, how do we appease him? How do we make him happy? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And so these guys were particularly good guys, I guess, <laughs> and they throw him overboard, all right? And then God does a miraculous thing. And this is actually one of those miracles in the Bible that lots and lots of people have a hard time with. If you know somebody who doesn't believe in the miracles of the Bible, one of the things that they struggle with is Jesus being raised from the dead. And one of the other great stories that they struggle with is Jonah being swallowed by a fish. I don't have a problem with that because God is a God who does all kinds of miraculous, crazy things that I can't comprehend. So I have no problem with him having a fish that he created just to come by and swallow up Jonah, <laughs> okay? Now, you can wrestle with that, but if God can speak forth and anything can come into being, I have no problem with God speaking forth, and this giant fish is there, and this giant fish comes up, and he swallows Jonah. And for three days, now this becomes important because this is part of the tie we'll have as we tie it into the New Testament. For three days, he's in the belly of this fish doing business with God. For three days, he's in this fish going, God, if you can get me out of here, I'll probably go do what you want me to do, probably. <laughs> he's still got some of that attitude going on there, but he cries out to God. God has a plan for using Jonah. He's in the fish for three days, and then God prompts the fish to spew Jonah up on the shore. And can you imagine the scene? This one, we can use our imagination a little bit. If you've been in the belly of a fish for three days, and you get thrown up on the shore... There are some that will say his skin was even bleached because of the acids from the stomach. We don't know exactly what he looked like, but it probably wasn't a great scene, and he probably smelled a little bit, and the fish spit him up on dry land. Now there's Jonah on dry land, reluctant still, grateful that God has shown him compassion and mercy because he had been disobedient and was running away, swallowed by a fish, spit up on the land, now Jonah says he will go, and he'll go preach. And then this is what happens. Listen to what happens. This is Jonah chapter 3. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. This is a city of about 120,000 people, a wicked, evil people that had been destroying other people, and as they would conquer them, would do despicable and horrible things to those that they conquered. And this is what he says to them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his message. Simple, clear. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And guess what the people did? Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he removed his robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. They're fasting. Let them not feed or drink water. And let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And I love this verse. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, 
how they turned from all their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Do you see the picture? Jonah goes, he preaches, he just simply says, you guys are in trouble. In 40 days, you're going to be overthrown, and disaster is going to come upon you. And they hear this message, and it says that they believed God, that they heard it and said, oh, God is speaking to us, and we're in big trouble, and they repented. And they turned from their evil, and they, they, they fasted and prayed, and they sought God, and a great revival happened. And so Jonah should be like on the top of the world because he preached the message and 120, that would be like me going out and preaching to the Twin Ports area and all of Duluth and Hermantown and Superior all repent and come to faith and all want to gather for church next Sunday. (laughs) And you think as a preacher, I would probably be pretty excited about that. But it pleased Jonah exceedingly, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. Take it from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And then Jonah went out out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself, made a little, little hut, and he sat under it for the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's like gloating. He wants to see it destroyed. He wants to see what happens. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So he's out there in the desert. It's super hot. And the Lord causes his plant to grow. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. That was Jonah's response. What we're going to do is break that down, chapter 4, and hopefully come away with this, taking a look at ourselves and our own hearts and also rejoicing in who God is and what God has done. So let's just take the first couple of verses. We're going to do it a couple of verses at a time, and we're going to break this down. Verses 1 and 2, but it displeased Jonah. Great revival, 120,000 people repent. They're, They're fasting, and Jonah is displeased. And he was angry, it says. And he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was with you in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Now listen, the next couple of phrases are going to be said in the negative. Like, like Jonah is going to be complaining that God is like this. But what it's going to do for us is give us a picture of the character and nature of God. All of the Bible is about three major things, if you ask me. The character and nature of God, the way of salvation pointing us to Jesus Christ, and how God desires us to live. And so in this little section, we're going to see him going, didn't I tell you, God, that you were like this? And we're going to get to see what God is like. It's kind of a strange thing, but as we see him talk about it in the negative, we're supposed to see it in the positive and go, yeah, isn't this good news that God is like that? So this is what I said, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So the preacher preaches, great revival, he's angry. He's angry because he's, he, he is going to see God's character in play. And the first piece of God's character is that he's a gracious God. God shows us favor we don't deserve. Grace is favor we don't deserve. You and I don't deserve the favor that God gives us. This is just a little human example, but um, one of the biggest things, and those of you who aren't parents yet, someday when you become a parent, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. But I never really realized that, like when I asked my dad for 20 bucks when I was a kid, you know, how great it was that he gave me 20 bucks, but when my kid asked for 20 bucks, <laughs> and I realized, I'm never going to see that again. <laughs> I worked hard for that 20 bucks, and he's going to go buy Pokemon cards with it, <laughs> or he's going to go buy a third of a video game with it, or whatever he's going to do with it. it. It was something that they didn't necessarily deserve. I just gave it to him. Why? Because they're my kid. Because I'm dad, and I had it and I had it available, and I wanted to bless them with it. Some of you remember me joking around about my four-wheeler a few weeks ago. Um, guess who has one of my four-wheelers now? My daughter has it. Her and her husband live on 40 acres. I let them use one of my four-wheelers, and guess what? I love it. I'm so, I'm so thrilled every time I see that they went out in the woods and got wood for their fireplace with my four-wheeler. That's just cool. I'm, I'm glad to give it to them. Why? Because I'm her dad, and it's just a way to bless her, and it's been fun to do that. Our Heavenly Father is gracious towards us. We get favor we don't deserve. And here's the interesting thing about Nineveh. Nineveh knew that they didn't deserve it. Nineveh knew that they didn't deserve for God to relent. They knew that what Jonah was accusing them of was true and accurate. He came and told them about what they were doing, and they were like, that's right, we are like that. We do abuse people. We do treat people in a horrible way. We do kill our enemies. And they hear it, and they hear this message, and they go, yeah, that's us. And instead of going, that's just too bad, they repent. They fall on their knees and they repent. And God is gracious and shows them favor that they don't deserve. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor, favor we don't deserve. And so this is the first thing that Jonah says, God, I knew you were gracious, <laughs> you know? Can you just see him? I, just, I knew you were gracious. And now you're going to be gracious to these people. And what Jonah is saying is, God, I don't think you should be gracious to those people. You ever have people like that? God, I don't think you should be gracious to those people. I think we all have those people, whoever they might be. And God is saying, I'm a gracious God. They're all people that are created in my image and I love my creation 
And then he goes on and say, not only are you a gracious God, you're a merciful God. And mercy simply is God withholding judgment and punishment that we deserve. Now, the other side of this, remember I said I give that 20 bucks to my kids to go do something? How about when I tell my, my kids to go take out the trash and they don't take out the trash? And I decide that I'm not going to ground them or I'm not going to have a consequence. That's just a simple example. But when they deserve something for, because they're not obeying, they didn't do what I asked them to do, I show mercy and say, you know what? You don't get what you do deserve. What you do deserve is some sort of consequence. What God is doing for them is when they repent, God decides to show mercy, and they're not getting what they deserve. Nineveh knew that they deserved great punishment. They knew the evil that they'd committed, and they knew that their only hope was to repent and throw themselves on the mercy of God. When I worked in prison ministry, that was one of the places that I could see that really clearly. Men in prison who were saying, I, I got no hope. Yeah, I did all those things. All that report, everything that you read, I did all that. My only hope is to throw myself on the mercy of God. Sometimes we forget that our only hope is to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. But Jonah is upset. He's going, I knew you were gracious, and I knew you were merciful. Not only that, I knew you were slow to anger. Jonah knew that God was patient with sinners. He knew that often God would give people chance after chance after chance. And he knew that God was a God who said, I'm going to keep waiting on you. Now, there will be times I'm going to have to bring some discipline. But over and over in the Old Testament, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you might think it's a, a book of judgment. It's really a book of God's patience. Because over and over again, God says, you keep doing the same old things, but I'm going to be patient with you. You're, you're worshiping idols and other gods. You're mistreating the poor. You're, you're doing all these things, but I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to wait and Jonah is complaining, I knew you're a God who's slow to anger. And then he says, and you're a God who abounds in steadfast love. If you don't remember anything else today, I hope you take that with you. Jonah says, and I knew you were a God who abounded in steadfast love. Jonah knew that God's love was sure and solid and steadfast for all human beings that he created in, in his image. And it abounds way beyond what we can comprehend. His ability his, for his love to abound goes way farther than you and I can comprehend. I can't imagine that kind of love. I want to experience it, but I don't really know what it's like to love like that in a way that is way beyond our comprehension, way beyond what a human being can do. And what we're going to see here in the book of Jonah is it wasn't just for the people of Israel. It was for this wicked nation this Gentile nation, because they were also created in his image. And so he had great steadfast love for even them. He loved them enough, this evil nation, enough to send a prophet. He loved them enough to go and get that prophet when that prophet ran away. He loved Nineveh enough to send a giant fish to swallow up that prophet, to get that prophet to them, to preach this message so they could repent. And all of that greatness of his character, Jonah is complaining about. Have you ever been there? I have to say that in my years in church ministry, I've had a few moments where there's been some people that have really, really wronged me. 
And in those moments, I mean, and we're talking like some serious wronging. And in those moments, it's easy to think about what we call imprecatory psalms from the book of Psalms, where David will say, Lord, will you do something against that person? And I remember one day saying, Lord, will you do something? And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Whenever I pray for me, when I've sinned against somebody, what do I pray? God, would you have mercy on me? I never say, God, would you judge me? (laughs) God, would you bring some discipline on me? I go, God, would you have mercy on me? That caused me to start to think that when I'm praying for other people who even wronged me, that maybe I should be praying, Lord, would you have mercy on them? Instead of, Lord, would you have justice and judgment, would you have mercy on them? Because that's what I ask for when I've screwed up, when I sin against others. I say, Lord, would you have mercy on, on me? You see... God is a God who is merciful and gracious. He has steadfast love. And he will relent from disaster when repentance occurs. Listen to this. God always relents when true repentance occurs. When people acknowledge their sin before God, when people confess their sin to God, and when through the power of the Holy Spirit turn and go another direction from sin towards God, he forgives. That's the good news. So they're over here marching on, doing their thing. The Holy Spirit, through, through the prophet Jonah, shows them their sin. They repent of their sin. They confess it. Lord, I'm sorry. They repent and go another direction. What direction is that? A direction towards God. They were going away from God. Now they turn and go towards God, and God forgives. And that's what he does in Nineveh. And Jonah pouts about it. Jonah pouts about the great forgiveness that God shows Nineveh. Jonah doesn't realize that he's the one that also is in need of this great forgiveness. So in this process, we're going to see God's great compassion and love, and Jonah's going to see it too. And Jonah's going to see the condition of his own heart. So this is what verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, he says, Please take my life. That's how despondent he is. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah says, Man, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to forgive these guys. I'm just, so, I'm just so angry about this. Just take my life. And God says, do you do well to be angry? God questions Jonah. He says, is it a good thing when he says, do, do, do you do well? Is, is this a good thing that you're doing, Jonah? This great anger that you're showing, is this a good thing? And then it says in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side, made a booth for himself, and he sat there and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And God does this tremendous lesson that he shows Jonah. And so what he does, he's sitting out there in the heat and God says, Jonah, I love you enough that I'm going to even make this plant grow over you in a day. And one day this plant's going to grow up and give you shade. And Jonah was glad. Now his mood is turning a little bit. But the next day, God sent a worm to kill that plant. And the sun rose up, and here's Jonah being a bit dramatic again. He's under the sun, and he says, it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah's being a little overdramatic. He's hot. He's in the sun. But God says, do you do well to be angry for a plant? And he says, yeah, I do. I do very well, because I'm angry enough to die. (laughs) You're like, come on, man. (laughs) You see, not only is God trying to use Jonah to bring the city to repentance, he's also going to reveal to Jonah the condition of his heart. And God, in his grace and mercy, is going to bring this plant up, he's going to let it die, and he's going to show Jonah some things about himself. 
And then he goes on to say this, and here's the punchline to the whole thing. The Lord said, you pity the plant. You pity a plant. Let me say that again. You pity a plant. I'm sorry. That should make us kind of go, that's weird. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, all things that God did in the people of Nineveh. You didn't labor. You didn't knit them together in the wombs of their mothers like I did. You didn't cause them to grow from a tiny little baby into what they were now. I did all that. You pity a plant which you didn't do anything. You didn't make it grow. You didn't bring it to life. You didn't do any of that. And yet you pity a plant. How much more should I pity these human beings that I created? You're angry about a plant that lived for a day. But how about 120,000 that I created? And I know every thought, every molecule, every action. And then he goes on to say, and he looked at him and he said, and they don't even know their right hand from their left. That's another way of saying they're completely clueless. Sometimes God has mercy and compassion and it offends us because he has mercy and compassion on people that we think he shouldn't have mercy and compassion. And when we do that, we have missed and forgotten that we're those people, that he's shown mercy and compassion to me, a sinner. Oh, maybe my sin wasn't like what the people of Nineveh were doing, but my sin was like what sin is. Your sin was like what sin is. All sin offends God, right? And yet God, this passage tells us, God looks down and says, yeah, sin offends me, but man, I created you. I knit you together. You, you, you grew up and I, I know everything about you. And so I'm going to show compassion on you by sending a savior, sending someone who can rescue you. And in this case, it was Jonah coming and bringing a message. In our case, it was the Son of God coming down from heaven. The greatest demonstration of grace and mercy and compassion and steadfast love was Jesus coming down from heaven in order to show us who didn't know our right hand from our left. And that's where we have the hardest time, right? I think part of the hardest thing we have is that it's hard for us to admit that. It's hard for me to say I'm clueless. My wife could probably say amen to all of that, but it's hard for me to admit that sometimes I don't know my right hand from my left hand, and that I go and do my own thing, and that's why I need a Savior. That's why I need someone to show me mercy and grace that I don't deserve. That's why I need someone who has steadfast love, because I'm not steadfast. Here's a couple of things I'd like you to take with you today and to think about. One has to do with how you see others, and other things have to do about how you're dealing with God. But the first thing I'd like you to reflect on throughout this week is, who are the people that you have trouble showing grace and mercy toward? Who are they? This was Israel's great enemy, 
And so Jonah, we might say, had some good reasons to feel like he felt. You maybe have been wounded and hurt deeply by someone. Maybe they fit in that category of a person that you have trouble showing grace and mercy toward. I don't know who that is and what kind of person that is, but I'm just telling you that Jonah, we do the same thing as Jonah's doing. We have people that we have a hard time showing mercy and grace towards. And I'm going to invite you this week to pray that God would have mercy on them and that God would soften your heart towards them. One more time. Who are the people that you have trouble showing grace and mercy to? Pray that God would show mercy to them and that he would soften your heart to them. I'm going to invite you this week to spend some time remembering and praising God for how merciful he's been towards you. I just would love to see that each one of you spent some time this week just going, God, thank you for how merciful you have been towards me. Thank you for your grace. Even this morning as I was reviewing my message, I always, if you want to know what I do before church, I'm downstairs in the basement reviewing the message, and I was just like, wow, Lord, you have been so merciful to me. You have been so patient there are many times when I wander off in my own, my own direction and you have been merciful and patient and waited. And I just wanted to praise him for that this morning. And so I'm just going to invite you to spend some time worshiping him this week and praising him for how merciful he's been towards you and how he has re- relented. And just praise him for that. And then praise him for his steadfast love. That was the other part that Jonah was angry about. I knew your God was steadfast love. Yeah, praise God for that. <laughs> Spend some time praising God for his steadfast love. And then repent. When God's Spirit prompts you to repent, I'm going to encourage you to repent. That's what happened here in the book of Jonah. A messenger came, God's Spirit prompted people, and they repented. So those are a few things I'd like to encourage you to reflect on. But the final one is how this connects us to Jesus. What is the thread in Jonah? And one of my favorite places is in Matthew chapter 12, where we're going to see what's called the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. So Jonah is connected all the way to the New Testament when Christ says this. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So Jesus is talking, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they're asking for a sign. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given you except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he says this powerful thing. The men of Nineveh will rise up on the judgment day with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And what he is saying is, he's saying, listen, something greater than Jonah. Jonah preached and they repented. The Son of God is here and you're not hearing him. And then he says this great thing, but I'm not going to give you a sign except for one thing. Now, here's what I want you to hear in this part of the message. That if you're asking and looking for a sign in order to have faith, in order to confirm your faith, if you're saying, God, just show me something, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the point. Don't pray for a sign. Pray that God would increase your faith. Now, I have what I call a reasonable faith. I have reasons 
that I believe what I believe. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be reasonable people that think carefully. I'm big on that. I want to have a reasonable faith, a faith that's thought through carefully. But at the end of the day, there still needs to be an element of faith because I'm not going to get all the answers that I want to get. And get this, even this sign of Jonah, Jesus being in the belly of the earth for three days was not enough. Listen to Matthew 28. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Those same religious leaders who asked for a sign, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And the guards had seen the angels move the stone, and they knew that Jesus was gone. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They bought them off, and they said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep him out of trouble. The sign actually happened. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And the soldiers came and told the religious people. They had witnesses. And the religious people said, don't tell anybody. We'll bribe you and bribe everybody else to keep it quiet. So they saw the sign. And it wasn't enough. You see my point this morning? That a sign isn't going to be enough. The sign of Jonah wasn't enough. There's a need for faith in all of this. So I'm going to hope and pray that this week you'll be praying that God would help you to increase your faith, not that he would give you some sign to help assure you that God is real and Jesus is real. Because even if you get that sign, it won't be enough. You're still going to need to have faith. And the beauty of the book of Jonah is we see this great picture of a steadfast love, the steadfast love of God, the mercy and grace of God shown to the people of Nineveh, then shown to the people of the New Testament, and then shown to us 2,000 years later, sitting right here in Duluth, Minnesota. That's astonishing to me. Let me ask you this as we close this morning. What do you see as you look around you? Jesus looks around and he sees a world that doesn't know its right hand from its left. He sees a world that are like sheep without a shepherd. And he wants his people, his sheep, his church to bring a message that calls people to, re to repentance but by the grace and mercy and steadfast love of God to believe it ourselves, and then to share it with the people around us. Jonah shows us a great picture of a great God and a great God whose steadfast love is merciful and gracious. And the greatest sign of all of that steadfast love and that mercy and the grace was that Jesus hung on a cross and my sin was placed on Christ and his blood was shed on my behalf and then his righteousness was poured into me. So I love standing in front of people and saying, I'm filled with the righteousness of Jesus. Not because I've done anything. I've not earned that righteousness. Jesus just gave it to me. All by faith. Faith in what he's done for me on the cross. Steadfast love, grace and mercy shown, through, shown to us through Jesus Christ.